Napa know-how. There are lots of amazing cars on the road, but perhaps none more amazing than the paid-off car. It may not be pretty, but the price is right. Heck, if you keep that thing running, it'll actually start paying you. Because with Napa Rewards, for every $100 you spend, you'll get $5 off. So keep your car running longer, stronger with Napa Rewards, and watch the savings start rolling in. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. The following broadcast has been approved for Elite Hornets fans. What a block by Cody Zeller. Walker down the lane, drive, shoots, scores! Game over! Bringing back the buzz was only the beginning. We will not go quietly into the night! It's Hornets talk for the hardcore fan. It's Hive Talk Live. Welcome in, Hornets fans. This is Locked On Hornets, presented by Hive Talk Live. It's Hornets talk for the hardcore fan. I'm Doug Branson. No David Walker this evening. He's hard at work on a way to visit an alternate universe where DeMar DeRozan finished that beautiful 360-degree jam in international competition. Good luck, David. We are now part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We're adding new podcasts every single day, it seems like. Locked On Fantasy Basketball with friend of the show Josh Lloyd premiered the other day. And if you're an all-around NBA head like we are, listen to Locked On NBA to get caught up on everything important around the association. We've had some amazing episodes since we've returned yesterday. We dove deep into the Marco Bellinelli edition. Today, we're going to do the same, this time with center Roy Hibbert. Great conversations coming up with two guys who know him all too well, Anthony Irwin from Locked On Lakers, and he's been on the show several times, Tom Lewis from IndyCornrows.com, the SB Nation blog on the Indiana Pacers. A couple of smart basketball heads, and that's what we love here on this show. We're returning live this fall on our YouTube channel. You can watch us and chat with us live on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Go to YouTube, search Hive Talk Live, subscribe, Follow us on Twitter at Hive Talk Live for more information on when we will be going live. It's exciting stuff, folks. I really can't express how cool it is. We're working on graphics. We're going to have video. It's going to be, I think, one of the most revolutionizing experiences in terms of sports podcasting, in terms of live sports production. It's going to be really, really cool. All right, you can email your thoughts, questions, your way-too-early conference standings predictions. We're talking to Adi Joseph tomorrow on the Eastern Conference Outlook. That should be a really great conversation. You can email all of that to buzzbuzz at hivetalklive.com. Hey, have you ever thought, I've got a business or I've got a product that I think Hornets fans would really love to hear about? Well, if you want to advertise on this show, email us for more information, buzzbuzz at hivetalklive.com. Okay, well, after re-signing Nick Batum and Marvin Williams, the Charlotte Hornets went about replacing some of the players they lost and addressing some needs left largely ignored last season. Mainly, I'm talking about a shot-blocking rim protector. And I make that distinction. That's all one phrase there, shot-blocking rim protection, because the Hornets as a team last season were not terrible. In fact, they were good at protecting the rim And that's something that Steve Clifford has been known for, protecting the rim without necessarily having a designated shot blocker on the team. But I think a lot of people notice, especially in the playoffs, the Hornets weren't able to summon that physicality that a shot-blocking rim protector brings to a team can can really change a game. It doesn't show up. It's one of those non-box score kind of things. 
uh, but it can really have a, a large impact on a team when a game gets extremely physical to have that kind of player. In that vein, they decided to go out and sign Roy Hibbert on a one-year, $5 million deal. Roy Hibbert spent seven seasons in Indiana, two of those all-star seasons, before being traded to the Los Angeles Lakers for a second-round pick. Now, he started 81 games for the Los Angeles Lakers in what turned out to be, you wouldn't know it, by the way. You really wouldn't know it. It was, to me, it was largely, unless you were a Los Angeles Lakers fan, it was really easy to miss Roy Hibbert playing basketball in a significant way at all. And and that makes sense. And and with Marco Bellinelli, this makes a trend. Last season, his worst statist- statistical season of his career. Cover your ears, kids. He put up 5.9 points per game, 4.9 rebounds per game. We're talking about a consistent double-double guy for several years in a row, putting up for a season in which he played 81 games, started 81 games, 5.9 points per game, 4.9 rebounds per game. Most importantly, the well-known shot blocker had only 1.4 blocks per game. That's down from his high of 2.6 in in a dominant 2013 and 1.6 the year previous. It was a tough year in LA, in La La Land, for Roy Hibbert for I think a variety of reasons, and and that was the crux of our conversation with Anthony Irwin from Locked On Lakers. Take a listen. Joined now by Anthony Irwin from the Locked On Lakers, the Lakers coverage from the Locked On Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us, Anthony. Thanks very much for having me. I'm looking forward to talking uh, talking to Roy Hibbert. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably not the favorite subject among Lakers fans or Lakers commentators because not only did he struggle for the Lakers last season, but I get the sense that you know, the Lakers sort of settled on Roy Hibbert after missing on LaMarcus Aldridge, so it already started a little bitter as the Roy Hibbert era began in Los Angeles. What were the expectations for Hibbert at the beginning of last season? I mean, there's always going to be, anytime you get somebody, anytime you get some kind of reclamation project, you're going to, you know, it's immediately going to be well, maybe they can be almost as good as they used to be. Maybe they might not be terrible, and and it just it it, it was it was tough to watch. It was tough to watch. I'm saying this almost, you know, you know, as somebody looking back on a on on an ugly, you know, short relationship. It was just it was just it never went well for Roy out here in L.A. And and I I don't think it was all his fault. I think the entire organization was in a bad place to reclaim anybody. Uh, so, you know, there's a good chance that Roy going to a, a more positive situation might actually help him. What were some of the specific issues that Roy Hibbert had in, in terms of fit with that roster in Los Angeles? Well, <laughs> when you're seven feet, whatever tall is, you know, I think he's he's a big seven footer, you know, and the the hope would be that especially considering the verticality rule came about because of him the hope would have been that he could stay upright for more often than he used to. Uh, so he, he spent, he, you'll, you'll see it while he's out there. You'll see it. He spends a lot of time on the ground. He's, he doesn't, he's not a very smooth mover uh, at all. He's, you know, dancers say they, you know, a bad dancer dances with two left feet. Roy runs with 
two baby feet that just aren't ready to support his body. It's it's tough to watch him because you know he he tries really hard. You know he he I never got the sense that he he wasn't out here working his tail off to be successful. I just think he's limited by an incredible lack of mobility that just it it just it shows itself at the worst possible times. Uh, it, it used to work okay for it used to work okay for his uh, while he was in Indiana because he could just stand there by the basket, go straight up, and affect plays that way. But when in, out here in LA, because of how bad the guards were, he had to move around to get the spot to affect you know to, to get the right angles to affect plays at the rim, and it just it never really showed itself in in any kind of positive fashion. So I guess specifically. The, the utter lack of mobility really severely hampered what he was trying to do. Anthony David Walker here uh, alongside Doug. Did he show – was he he was playing mostly with the, the second unit there? He started a few games, or how did his playing time shake out? I believe – I'd have to look at the actual numbers, but I believe he started for the vast majority of, of his time out here – I mean, the, the Lakers, <laughs> as yeah. bad as Roy might have been, they didn't have very many uh, solutions elsewhere. You know, and, and honestly, it got a little frustrating throughout the season because Byron stuck with Roy, and I and I, I think to a certain extent the the uh, Lakers stuck with Roy because of the situation. You know that they brought him in, so I think it was like a wink, wink. We promise we'll start you as often as we possibly can and try to revive whatever value you might be able to, to attain. Uh, and, yes, I'm looking at his numbers, and he played in 81 games, and he started in all 81. <laughs> I just so. looked that up as well. <laughs> Could have done that before, I suppose. <laughs> so, but. <laughs> don't ask David for uh, any Lakers trivia from last season. Well, I asked that. You know, I mean, so, I mean, he's playing, I guess, versus starters. I didn't know if there's any glimmer of hope to say, well, he's going to be coming off the bench here in Charlotte. Maybe that gives him a leg up somewhere. I don't know if you see any potential for that. Yeah, I, I think a, a limited role will really help. The annoying thing last year was Byron stuck with him through thick and thin, and the Lakers had a guy, Tarek Black, who they wound up paying this offseason anyway, which was kind of odd. But they had Tarek Black, who, while he was on the court, was a better fit with Russell because Russell is a is a pick-and-roll uh, point guard, and Roy just doesn't have the mobility to, to really do anything in the pick and roll. He actually handles the ball fairly well for somebody his size. He makes good decisions. He has decent touch from, you know, in that 10 to 12 foot range. But with Russell and, and Tarek Black, Black really created gravity going to the basket because the, the teams had to collapse on him and it opens all kinds of other stuff up. But with Roy out there in, in Charlotte, I, I could see it working out fairly well in a in a severely limited role. The two things that the Hornets needed to address in the offseason or, or two of the things that they needed to address were rim protection and rebounding off the bench. Do you think, based on your experience with Roy Hibbert, watching Roy Hibbert last season in Los Angeles, do you think he'll be able to contribute those two things off the bench for the Charlotte Hornets? Off the bench, sure. I mean, you're not really expecting, you know, a world beater coming off of the bench, especially at the five spot. <clears throat> it's it, you know, usually when I when I describe fives coming off of the bench, it's six fouls. You know, it's it's 
somebody and and that and that actually might help Roy in that you know out here in LA he had to you know spend as much time as he could on the court so he was a little reluctant to pick up fouls uh, out there you know he he actually might benefit from the the uh, the ability to just go out there and you know just go out there Roy and if anybody gets near the rim do whatever you can to to stop them there and that might actually help although you know you don't want to pick up too many fouls as a defense rebounding the thing that Roy does rebounding and it actually it's why I actually really like the the pickup when the Lakers made the acquisition was that Roy doesn't rebound for himself very well you, you look at his actual individual rebounding rates and they aren't very good but teams tend to rebound the ball better with him on the court and he just he does a really good job of boxing his and at other times other guys out of you know out of the paint allowing guys to to get the rebound and it actually improves the team he's on their pace so when the lakers got him and the lakers had uh, a healthy julius randall the thinking was all right roy you box everybody out randall you get the rebound and we're going to get out and run and it worked effectively semi-effectively for parts of the year uh but again i just think you know randall wasn't ready to assume that responsibility and the lakers on the whole weren't very good so the, the thinking there in, in Charlotte is that if they want to improve bench pace, Roy, despite being as slow as he is, might actually help. Did you get a sense for how Roy Hibbert is in terms of his locker room presence? He's It's kind of tough with Roy because in interviews, he's never going to give you the greatest quotes. He's, he's not, he doesn't particularly like talking to the media. But what I what I do or what I was able to, to see from the outside looking in was that his teammates did like him. His teammates did respect him. He he is a, a good defensive coach on the court. He you know if, if somebody misses a rotation, he's the first person to let them know. Hey, you've got to get here. You know, and and it was it really showed itself early in the season. And I don't know if later in the season Roy either you know Roy said all right these kids just aren't going to get it or this system just isn't going to work whatever uh, but I, I think out there in Charlotte with other guys with you know who really have winning in mind Roy's uh, ability to be vocal on a basketball court might actually really help especially with the second unit that tends to need direction defensively Interesting stuff from Anthony Irwin of Locked On Lakers. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us. Anytime, guys, anytime. And and I'm really excited to work with with you guys on on this Locked On Network. You guys have done great work. I was really excited when David said he brought you guys on. So uh, really excited. I'll be part of the same team. I share the same sentiments as as Anthony Irwin there. Great to be working with uh, the team there at Locked On Lakers and really all of the Locked On podcasts. So many great, uh, smart, insightful basketball minds working for this podcast network. And listen, if you have a secret uh, love of another basketball team, if you have a West Coast mistress that you like to follow on League Pass apart from the Hornets, definitely go to audioboom.com, search Locked On, and find their Locked On podcast. I guarantee you it's going to be a great listen. A couple of interesting things from that interview that, that I really took away. First of all, I love the beginning of, of that conversation when he he's like, yeah, I'm glad to be here talking about Roy Hibbert. I mean, you can tell how far the Lakers, the Lakers uh, commentary at 
have fallen when they have to when they have to talk about Roy Hibbert. He used to be Kobe Bryant and Dwight Howard and Pal Gasol and then so on and so forth and Shaq and and now it's like okay you've invited me on to talk about Roy Hibbert who who had 5.9 points per game and 4.8 rebounds. Yes, yes Anthony because I think that Roy Hibbert could be the most interesting story in all of basketball next season other than obviously the Warrior Super Team but sneaky in terms of sneaky story in terms of one that just kind of comes out of nowhere I think the Roy Hibbert reclamation project could be huge for the Charlotte Hornets and for the NBA because Roy Hibbert has been such an interesting character to follow over his career. It's interesting because Roy Hibbert showed such a dominance in this league, a conference, almost conference tectonic shifting type of talent when, when they almost took down LeBron's Miami Heat uh, in that Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, he was a big factor in that series after being basically quiet for, for those playoffs in the last bit of April heading into the playoffs that the Indiana Pacers fans and organization were ready to give up on the Roy Hibbert experiment. And, and he turns it around in that series. And it's always been a little bit of a back and forth of is Roy ready to have a consistently great season. And of course, the verticality rule changes or or focus shifts hurt his ability to be a shot blocker and and I talked uh, extensively about that with Tom Lewis from Indy Cornrows we'll get to that in just a moment but the reason I think it's an interesting story is because you don't just overnight lose the kind of talent that Roy Hibbert has displayed on the basketball court. You don't just go from being a 15 and 10 guy, uh, possibly a, a, a 30 and 10 guy on a special night, to, to putting up goose eggs in consecutive games. It just it doesn't normally happen that suddenly or that way, but it has with Roy Hibbert, and that signals to to me and to everyone that there's something mental going on, and and I just believe that Roy Hibbert is looking for that right situation. He's looking uh, for a team and a coach and a staff and even fans and even media that believe in him again, that give him the benefit of the doubt. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen in Charlotte, and I don't know if it should happen because, you know, Hornets fans are now in their second year in a row of, of of a redone bench and a bench full of reclamation projects, and I worry that if these particular reclamation projects, if these gambles don't pay off for Rich Cho, how much of a leash are Hornets fans who are already peeved about the All-Star game getting taken away, who are disappointed after coming so close to getting to the second round last season, how much of a leash will they be willing to give to these new reclamation projects? I don't know. But there was a time, as I mentioned, that Roy Hibbert was a somewhat dominant force in the NBA, a force to be reckoned with. He, Before they changed the focus on the verticality rule, Roy Hibbert took that rule, used it to its maximum advantage, and, and became a monster on the court. And if you don't know what the verticality rule is, it's essentially uh, for help defenders, if they go straight, if they jump straight up in the air, they don't get called for the blocking call, even if contact is made. The ref would assume in that instance, or make the judgment in that instance that the driving player, the guy driving from the three-point line, initiated the contact. So Roy Hibbert, 
uh, made it uh, his sole mission to anticipate when that player was going to drive and time his jump perfectly, jump straight up in the air and have that simultaneous contact with with uh, that driver and either directly block the shot or change the shot so much that it had no chance of going in and he became a defensive force. So the changes were made, the focus was changed where it became more friendly towards that driving player and stuff started to shift for Roy Hibbert. I talked about that and the good days. We talked about the good days for Roy Hibbert, the all-star nod days for Roy Hibbert in Indiana and what went wrong and why Indiana ultimately decided to trade away Roy Hibbert to Los Angeles. Take a listen. We're joined now by Tom Lewis. He's the editor of IndyCornrows.com, the SB Nation blog on the Indiana Pacers. Welcome in, Tom. Hey, Doug. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thanks for joining us because I feel like you're going to give us uh, some good insight into some of Roy Hibbert's better days. We talked to Anthony Irwin from Silver Screen and Roll, the Lakers SB Nation blog, on uh, some of the darker days for Roy Hibbert last season with the Lakers, but there were some good times in Indiana, weren't there? There absolutely were. You know, from from the time he was drafted, um, seemed kind of like a project, and the work he put in, his personality, he became a, a fan favorite really early in his career, and um, he continued uh, trending in a positive direction for the first few years of his career, um, and then, you know, all of a sudden uh, he dipped off. And, and a lot of it, it seems like, had to do more with his his uh, mental approach and, and his emotional approach to the game, um, and also with a slight variation in the way uh, they started calling the verticality rule. Those two things kind of combined, and, and uh, that's when we started seeing his decline. Now, talk to us more about the emotional uh, part of Roy Hibbert's decline in Indianapolis, because I think that's very interesting that he was early on a fan favorite, but it seemed like the, the fans in Indiana may, may have turned on Roy Hibbert after you know seeing zeros in the box score and, and seeing his production fall off. Did that get into his head? Yeah, I think so on, on some level. You know, it, getting into Roy's head is is uh, tricky territory, <laughs> and um, but it, it is a big part of his career. Uh, when he started, Jim O'Brien was a coach. He was a real tough coach, and really was hard on Hibbert, and he did not respond well. Um, he wanted him to be tougher and 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 all that stuff. Fortunately, Frank Vogel was the guy as an assistant at that time who was always pumping up Roy behind the scenes, trying to keep him going, keep him developing, keep him working. Um, and then when Vogel took over, um, you know, Roy blossomed. Um, he was under a coach that, that he trusted, that he knew had his back, and who was also positive with him, kept him, you know, in a positive mind frame. Um, and, and really, Vogel is a guy who, who you know, I mean, <laughs> to be quite blunt, Hibbert's, success in the league was based on his ability to use the NBA's verticality rule, jumping straight up to block shots and, and meet people at the rim and deny them with everybody included 
LeBron James, you know, being sent the other way. Um, that's what got him paid eventually. Um, and that's what he, you know, knew he was contributing. That bolstered his confidence. His offense, you know, helped come along that way. Um, and again, you know, going back, talking about getting into Roy's head, when he was in George, at Georgetown, especially, you know, he couldn't even run, you know, and he put in so much work and from, you know, his freshman year in college um, until he was about 25, every year you could see development and the work he put in. He did a lot of martial arts when he was in Indy. He worked with Tim Duncan. He worked with Kareem, Bill Walton, um, you know, anybody in, in the offseason. And he continued to develop. Um, and then, you know, once he was having so much success and and literally getting calls where it seemed like he was fouling people, but he was getting the benefit of the doubt. And the whole league came together and, and made a point to adjust the way that rule is called. And it kind of took the teeth out of his defensive game. And from that point on, it, it, it kind of got in his head and, and he became a little more reclusive with the media. Um, his, his head was down a lot. Um, and then, you know, the fans noticed that body language and, and all of a sudden um, things turned on him. I just think it's interesting, you know, you, you comment on, on his reaction to the verticality ruling and it almost seemed like the NBA was turning its back on what Roy Hibbert had worked so hard to contribute for the Indiana Pacers. And then and then you look at what happened in 2014 and 15 when Lance Stevenson left Indiana to come to Charlotte. Paul George uh, broke his leg and was out, and it all turned to Roy Hibbert, and he put in a, a really a great season, one of his best, even though he didn't get an all-star nod in 2014-15. It was still production-wise one of his best seasons, and then Indiana trades Roy Hibbert to the Lakers for a second-round pick because will you tell us why why they made that trade and and how you think that affected Roy Hibbert's psyche as he moved into Los Angeles? Well, I think the the main reason was well, I guess it was a combo. I mean, there was um, you know his his production had been tailing off a little. He was still, you know, he's still that rim protector um, that you need, but he he wasn't a guy that they were going to build around going forward with Paul George. And I know Larry Bird wanted to change the style of play that they were playing with, um, even with David West. I mean, David West, you know, famously left, you know, tens of million dollars on the table to leave, um, and he was upset after um, the way the team kind of treated Hibbert there when they, when they dealt him. Um, but it wasn't a guarantee that he was going to come back anyways that year. Uh, and the fact that, that Bird, Bird wanted to change his style of play, I think he realized that group kind of had, had peaked now that, you know, they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals a couple of times and, and um, had great success. But I don't think he felt they could get over the hump and, and by moving Roy, that was uh, a big, big chunk to break up that group and, and the way they were going to play. Talk to us about what kind of a teammate Roy Hibbert was in, in the locker room in Indianapolis. Everything that I hear is that he was a, a fantastic teammate. Yeah, I think everybody liked Roy. You know, there were always rumors when, 
when Lance was there um, and when the team, the, you know, the, their best team um, in, in the 13-14 season, that got up to an unbelievable start and was rolling and then and then got tons of publicity and all of a sudden faded down the stretch a little bit. There were always rumors of all these things going on behind the scenes and with, with Lance and Roy and Paul George and all that, but um, there really was no evidence of any of that. And the the way that the team reacts to him when he when he's around now and and when he left, um, he he was a big part of, of that group. And um, he he definitely was a guy that people like. You know, he it, it's interesting because you know he he really was interested in in getting doing stuff with with movies and things he he uh, was on parks and recreation uh, he hung out with you know some of those comedians and, and actors in hollywood a lot um but when it came to the media uh you know he he would barely look people in the eye often would you know just look away and, and not talk up real clear so i think the media eventually got a negative portrayal of him out there um, based on their interactions with him, which were legit. Um, but I think once um, all the cameras were off and the mics were off, um, he was you know, a guy that, that people enjoyed in the locker room. Were you surprised that his production dipped down so low when uh, he moved to uh, the Los Angeles Lakers? I was. I really, you know, I, you know, I, I, I root for the guy because um, I know, <laughs> you know, He's one of those big guys, and, and big guys, you know, do have an emotional. Um, some guys have an emotional um, struggle getting through life, just because they've been a big guy all their life. And and you know, I'd have no idea what that would be like to be stared at, you know, when you're 12 years old walking into a room or 15. Um, and you know, he's got talent. Um, you know, he wants to do well, and um, is a guy that I root for. And I thought, you know. He'd, he'd be in, in a situation in L.A. where there was really nothing to lose and, and would turn it loose a little bit and, and have a, a better season than he did. Um, now, you know, in hindsight, I don't know if we can blame Roy for all of that because that Lakers year with, with Kobe's retirement and then the young guys and them not really being interested in winning um, made that a tough environment. And I think, you know, that's one thing maybe that, that – Hampered Roy was that he does things that you you know when he's at his best he's doing things that can help a team win um, and if that isn't the primary goal across the, the board maybe he's you're not going to get your best out of him. So Roy Hibbert is going to be in a reserve role barring injury in Charlotte. When you look back on his time in Indiana, what kind of players would you suggest the Hornets put around Roy in a rotation to make? Uh, to optimize what he gives to a basketball team? Some aggressive wing defenders. You know, that was one thing I, I really think that helped Paul George develop into a um, a, a great defensive player on the wing and, and also helped make those defensive teams, you know, make a lot of players appear better than they were um, on the defensive end because they could be aggressive. Um, they could get out. They, they knew that that Roy was back there as the as the last line of defense. Um, if they gamble and miss, that he would be there to help protect the rim. Um, so, I think that is, you know, the the key way he can help impact whatever unit he's playing with.
So Tom Lewis there, after studying Roy Hibbert for seven years, saying put some athletic, put some aggressive wing defenders around Roy Hibbert and you could find some success for him defensively. You have to allow Roy Hibbert to be a help defender and a help rebounder because we've heard from many sources that have watched Roy Hibbert over his career. He's not a great uh, direct rebounder. Like he's not going to sniff the ball out and go grab it. He's just not athletic enough to do that. But he can he can draw attention. He can block out very well. He can block out two guys at once. And if you have aggressive wing defenders and aggressive wing rebounders or or a really good power forward rebounder like, hey, Marvin Williams, you can pair those guys together for great effect. And and I think I think Roy Will or excuse me. And I think Roy Hibbert will benefit from being around not only better talent, but I think talent that's focused on team defense, that's focused on team offense, that moves the ball around, that plays a perimeter-style game, as opposed to the Los Angeles Lakers who did not play a perimeter-style game, so the lane was often clogged. I think Roy Hibbert will benefit from, from that. I think also, and this is what I forgot to mention from the Anthony Irwin interview, is that Anthony mentioned that Roy Hibbert, not only a great teammate off the court in the locker room, but he's also a little bit of a quarterback on defense. And, and you know, he can do that because he sits back. I mean, he gets to see the entire court because he doesn't often find himself near the three-point line. He holds other players accountable on defense. He helps on defense. He has a good defensive awareness. And I think that helps none other than Marco Bellinelli. If they opt to play these two guys together, Marco Bellinelli will space out the floor for Roy Hibbert, and Roy Hibbert will make sure, and we talked about this in the last show, Marco Bellinelli played defense in San Antonio because other players held him accountable and because Greg Popovich held him accountable. And it seems like, I mean, we know Steve Clifford will hold Marco accountable, and now you've got somebody on the court that's, you know, and maybe they pair MKG with with Marco Bellinelli as well and Roy Hibbert. And then you have that aggressive wing defender and aggressive wing rebounder. And now you've got them playing some functional team defense. It, you know, it there's a possibility that when I when I let the rotations roll around the old melon, swim in the Olympic pool of my mind, I, I can start to make sense of different playing groups, of different pairings that could come together and find some success on defense and possibly on offense as well. Thanks for listening to Locked on Hornets presented by Hive Talk Live, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. We've got a great show coming up tomorrow. NBA deputy editor for SportingNews.com, Adi Joseph, comes on to help us break down what's going on in the Eastern Conference, make some sense of this new look Eastern Conference, including where the Hornets rank in his mind amongst the many Follow us on Twitter at Hive Talk Live. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, please give us a five-star review. Help Hornets fans just like yourself, hardcore Hornets fans like yourself, find this podcast. Make sure to tell your friends about what's going on here at Hive Talk Live. Exciting stuff happening, gearing up for this next Hornet season. If you'd like to advertise with us, make sure you email buzzbuzz at hivetalklive.com. Hive Talk Live is a presentation of SB Nations at thehive.com. I'm Doug Branson. Go Hornets. Go America. Have an amazing Thursday. Let's swarm Charlotte.
Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.